So I did want to mention a couple of things. I know that some of this information is in your bulletin, but this Friday coming up is a uh, work as worship retreat. It's a day retreat. And this is, uh, we're, we're doing a, a video cast, a simulcast from uh, Right Now Media. Many of you have been involved with Right Now Media. And we're going to be having that here. And it's, and it's, and it's really about what you do in the workplace, whether you uh, own a business or you uh, work for somebody or whatever, but as a as a person is trying to work and do things, that what that means, what does it mean to worship God within that context? That that's how God's designed us, and that actually, since think about this, a lot of what we do in our life is working. Uh, that that's got to be part of the kingdom of God, and then what that looks like uh, with that too. Now, uh, and if you have questions about it, you can go online. You can look at the website. You can. Uh, talk to me about it. We've got a handful of people signed up for this, but uh, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to it quite a bit. So uh, the, the next thing that I want to talk to you about, we've got this, there's, there's kind of a quickness and a deadline uh, to this that we want to let you know about. But um, last summer, uh, Gordon White's family was killed in a car crash, Heather and the three kids. And they were all uh, teenagers uh, Scott was just barely, but they were all teenagers, and, uh, and the, the, the Whites had a, uh, a scholarship set up in each of the kids' names for when they eventually got to college, and uh, Gordon has decided that he wants to turn that into a, an ongoing scholarship fund to uh, give scholarships to um, people that are college students uh, here at Church of Briargate, and specifically, although not limited to, but specifically put an emphasis on um, um, high school kids going into college, uh, going to some type of um, uh, ministry school or something like that. There are all the criteria. I don't, I don't have time to explain all the criteria to you this morning. There's a lot of criteria. It will be on the website this week. Uh, hopefully, by, by at least by the middle of the week, it will all be on the website this week, and you can go on. We were just finalizing it uh, this last uh week. In fact, Gordon just got the final stuff just like yesterday finished on this. Now, the, uh, there's going to be three scholarships given to, to, to in $1,000 each. Um, this is going to go until the funds run out. He's got it set up in a trust, and so that's not anytime soon. But uh, what we decided to do at Church of Briargate is we, we believe in this, and uh, so Church of Briargate added $5,000 to that so that we could also uh, extend the life of these scholarships. The reason that I'm saying that is because we have had a couple questions about this, and we want to let you know, if you want to contribute to that, you definitely can contribute to that. That will extend the life of these uh, scholarships out there quite a bit. We are um, starting this year with the first scholarships. We have some deadlines, and I, I, I apologize for these deadlines being so soon, but we've been working on this for uh, quite a few months around here. Um, the March 4th is the first deadline. You have to have all the paperwork in. That is not long. Uh, normally, you'll have a whole year to process this. Um, so if you're interested this week, you, 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 I mean, you're interested in this, you need to go this week to the website. Look at this. We will have it up as soon as possible uh, with all of this so that you can go look at the criteria. You can go look at this. And this isn't just um, uh, undergraduate or straight out of high school. This is continuing education, master's degree programs, all these things are included in that. We just need you to fill out the application and uh, submit it to the uh, church board. The church board will be the uh, governing body of this trust, um, with obviously Gordon is going to be the 
the uh, final whatever, whatever. Um, but, uh, but he has said that in the, in the paperwork, that the board will be the governing body of the scholarships. And so uh, we, we definitely want to um, acknowledge the fact that, that Gordon has done this. We also want to give you the opportunity to be involved with this. So if you're interested at all, uh, you can talk to Gordon. I don't think, Gordon, you wouldn't mind if they came and asked you about it. Uh, talk to Gordon about it. Come talk to me. Any of our board members, we've all talked about it. We all know the information uh, that, that, uh, that's set up with this. And so just as a, just as I, I just think this is one of those moments where it's just a really cool thing um, that uh, Gordon is doing this. I, we, we just really, the whole board, we really like this. We really believe in this. And, uh, and we want you to, to know as much about it as possible in case you want uh, one of those scholarships. And so, so <clears throat> uh, this series that, that we're in now, this is the second to last week. Last week will be next, uh, next week will be the last week. And uh, this is this one. It seems to be a little bit more uh, casual. Um, it's not as pushing. I've been pushing a lot in the in this series. A lot of subjects. I really have been enjoying the feedback. Most of most of the emails, and I'm getting way more feedback on this than any series I've done, at least in a long, long time, um, having to do with this. You know, I'm go, I'm in a blended family, or I, I'm a single person, and this you know this is what I'm going through. This is what my family's going through, or whatever the case is. And, uh, and, it's, and it's interesting. I'm really enjoying the feedback. Most of the emails start with, um, Pastor, this is probably more information than you want to know. Okay? That's not true. I, I want to know. I'm really enjoying this feedback. If you just want to know me in a general sense, I don't want to know any information about anything. Okay? About anybody, anything. But, I joke a little bit about that, but I, I, I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying hearing what's going on with your lives, what's happening with this. Um, there's some great testimonies, some great stuff going on in, in our body right here, and, uh, and it's good. It's good things. In fact, um, you do need to be careful. If you ever send me an email like that that's got your testimony or something, you may be contacted for um, videos and stuff like that in the future, just so that you know. You can turn that down, but we're going to make you feel real bad. Now, with this, this one seems to be a little bit lighter, but I... I think it's actually pretty important. I'm going to be talking about communication this morning, and I want to, I want to go across a lot of, of spectrums of communication. This isn't just whatever you think communication is or whatever relationships. I, I, I went to a lot of different places and a lot of different places on the, on the Internet, books, all kinds of different things, and looked at communication and how, how communication is looked at from different people, different perspectives, in different contexts, group communication, workplace, family, marriage, uh, friendships, all of these kind of things, uh, bosses to workers, workers to boss, parents to children, children to parents, all these different kind of things. And, and, and I put together a collection of all these that, that kind of takes, I think, the meat of the, the major context of communication and, and will help us to move forward with this, whichever context you're in. Now, if I'm having this discussion at, um, at IBM for the, the, the mid-level managers, it's going to look a little different than, than what I'm talking about this morning, but th some of that actually is in this. And so no matter where, what place or what uh, context you're in, this is going to have some, some help for you or some bearing in this. Now, with the understanding of communication, there's some basic things that I, that I think is kind of important that, um, that, that we look at. I'm going to start with looking at communication with God and God communicating with us because I, I believe in every subject in life you can find the most important things you can find in the Bible. And God will help us understand some things 
and we're spiritual people first. And so the, the, the basic concept of communication, I believe, is a spiritual one first. It's not a verbal one. It's not a understanding. It's a spiritual thing first. And if we can grab onto that, then it makes us better in our workplace. It makes us better in our marriages, all these different kind of things. And so uh, the, 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 the basic things about communication we think about is um, it's talking and listening and understanding and arriving at a conclusion. And those are, those are true. Those are basic understandings of communication. But here's some of the things that I've found. One is, as human beings, we don't do this well. I don't think, as I, I'm saying in a general broad sweep of all humanity, we don't communicate well. There are certain things that we can do within the context of communication that we're better at or whatever. And here's a, here's a, a misconception that I would like to, to get off the table so we can understand this quickly is the idea that society seems to embrace, and I don't, I don't believe it, that women are better communicators than men. I, I don't believe that. I haven't seen that. I, I've done years and years and years of counseling, and I don't believe that women are better communicators. I believe that women communicate, and I believe that men communicate. I don't believe that women communicate better with women. I don't believe that men communicate better with men. I think that we're all bad at this, and that we need to learn some things. We need to process some things. The amount of talking does not mean communicating. There is, and that wasn't a slam toward any group or anything, but just talking is not communicating. And then I hear people say, well, you know, they're a really good listener. They're a really good listener. That, what does that mean? What, I want you to really process. Does that mean communication has actually happened? Or did somebody sit there and go, a lot? Does that mean there was communication? That means you arrived at conclusions, you understood, you got the depths of it, you got it. Uh, being a good listener just means you don't talk over them. That's what that means. You don't interrupt them. That's being a good listener. And so, so can we get better at, at different elements of the? Yes, yes, we can. But I think there has to be some basic uh, foundational starting places, okay? So I went to some places in Scripture. There's tons of places like this. If, you're, if you just want to kind of do a study like this, you can, you can uh, go to anywhere that God spoke. Anywhere that God spoke, not like corporately to the people, but spoke to a person. There's lots of those. In fact, we talked about a few of these Wednesday night in a different context. We're talking more about a prayer context. But God spoke to Abraham about Sodom and Gomorrah. He spoke to Moses. He spoke to Gideon. I mean, you can go through Scripture and see where God speaks to people. If you'll go to those places and look at some basic things, and I'll, you'll see how I'm going to pack a little bit of this, but look at some basic things. Who was the person that God was speaking to? Why did he choose them? But who were they at the time? What was the dynamics of their life? Where had they gotten to in that specific place of life? And why was God speaking to them then, not just speaking to them, but specifically speaking to them then? And then how does he do it? How does he speak to them? Now, I'm not, I'm not including the concept of God speaking judgment to somebody in any of this kind of stuff. To me, that's a different place. It's a different dynamic. Um, I'm talking about God just speaking. Because here's, here's a strong belief of mine. I believe that God is trying to speak to us all all of us, all the time. I just, I just think we've trained ourselves in American Christianity not to hear him. We've actually developed certain Christian ideas, certain Christian church patterns that actually go against us being able to hear God. And we need to get rid of some of these things and, and learn to listen, learn to let the Lord teach us to listen. Because I, I, in, in different cultures, in different societies, they don't have the same Christian culture. They don't have the same hang-ups hang about God speaking to them. They don't have the same uh, resistance against God speaking to them. 
uh, for example, you've heard me say this. Um, many of you would be very similar in this frame of thought. I strongly believe God wants to speak to us. When Peter quotes Joel and he says, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. I believe that very strongly. I believe, and that's, that's gender neutral. I believe that God is trying to do this constantly with us. Okay? But here's the thing. Even though I believe that and I know it and I try to encourage all of us here, if some of you, if any of you come up to me um, after service and say, hey, God gave me a dream, I want to tell you about it. My first reaction is, that's, that's, I don't, it makes me uncomfortable. Now, I know it's true. I know it's real. I know that that's, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to expect that. I want you to, I want you to think that way. But if you come and tell me, it makes my skin crawl a little bit. Why? I've been trained that way. I've been trained to think that's a little hokey and you're a little weird. That's the way I've been trained. And it's wrong. I pray about this. I'm not kidding you. I pray, God, help me with this. Help me with this. Josh gave his testimony uh, last Saturday to the men's group about a dream that God gave him. Now, I had no problems whatsoever when Josh came to and sent me, but I, had, I have a much deeper relationship with Josh than many of us in this room. So when he came and said, hey, God gave me a dream, my ears picked up. I've never heard him say that before. I want to know this. Tell me the dream. I'll give you a grade, and we'll talk about it later. No, I want to know this. I want to know what God's speaking to you. Please listen, guys, girls, every one of us, and young, old, every one of us, please listen. God wants to speak to you. He does. He wants to do it all the time. But you've got you to train yourself. I'll give you one. This is a, this is a Christian culture thing, um, American Christian culture thing. You have a prayer meeting. We, we gather a bunch of people in this room. We have a prayer meeting. It's almost a guarantee that we're going to have worship music on during the prayer meeting. Why? We've been trained that way. Now, I like that. I, when I come in here and pray, sometimes when nobody's in here, I'll, I'll bring my iPad or my phone and I'll turn on a worship song and I'll play. But here's the thing is, it's more difficult to hear God when there's noise than when there's not. But we've trained ourselves, we need noise. That you would actually pray and then stop talking and listen. Just listen. Don't, don't say stuff. Just listen. That, man, that's difficult for us. It goes against our, our thinking. It goes against our human nature. It goes against our culture. It goes, you mean God wants to say something to me? Yes, he does. He does. I, this, this is interesting to me. You, you, you've seen our impact cards. This has been on my list to speak now, actually for quite a few months, but specifically printed out for at least a month or two on the cards. So I didn't just come up with this subject this week, okay? It's been on the calendar for a long, long time. And The View, a TV show in the middle of the day that should be disbanded and burned to the ground, that TV show said that, that Vice President Pence, because he talks to God, and because he expects God to talk to him, they said that was a sign of mental illness. If you don't believe me, go look it up. It's been all over the news. Now, Vice President Pence had a reaction to that this week that was very good. Graceful, kind. He wasn't attacking. But he did say, NBC, is that the, I don't know which station it's on, ABC? And he said, ABC, you need to think about the content that you're sending out there and what that means to the average American that believes just like I do. 
And that basically you just attacked us and said we're all mentally unstable and mentally ill. It was, it was very graceful. He wasn't attacking. But th- this is the thing. Let me, let me, I disagree with everything the view says. But specifically this. I disagree strongly because here's the thing. Please get this. Internalize this. God wants you to speak to him. And he wants to speak back to you. And that's not mental illness. That's spiritual life. And he wants to do this. Okay, regardless of what anybody else thinks he wants to. Now, let's go to Scripture and let's look at some basic, just basic, basic foundational stuff. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9. Now, this is Elijah, Elijah the prophet. Um, he, had, he had recently been, okay, there was a drought for three years. He had, he had prayed that God was going to send rain, all these things. Um, he goes up on Mount Carmel. He, he calls all the prophets of Baal and says, if your God's real, um, have him light this fire, light this um, altar and fire and all this, and they couldn't get it to happen. And then, and then God lights, sends fire down from heaven, and it just consumes the, the, the sacrifice, the altar, all the water that he had poured all over it to prove a point, all this other stuff. Then he, they praise. He prays for rain. God's going to send the rain. He, he runs ahead of the chariots, of, and he tells Ahab ahead of time, hey, you better get back down to the city. It's about to rain. And he runs faster than the horses at full speed and gets down to the city. And when he gets I mean, God's just doing, he, oh, by the way, he kills all the prophets of Baal sitting there on the mountain, all this stuff. I mean, God's just boom, 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 doing all kinds of stuff. He runs down to the city, gets down to the city, and when he gets down to the city, Jezebel, Ahab's wife, says, I'm going to kill you today. And he goes, eh, and runs off into the woods. And so... I don't understand that. I've never understood that, how, how God could be doing all this stuff, big supernatural stuff, and instantaneously because Jezebel, one person, he had just killed 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of uh, Ashtoreth, all this other stuff. One woman says, I'm going to kill you, and he gets scared. Okay? Runs off into the um, wilderness. God feeds him there and does something, speaks to him. And finally, he gets to a point of complete desperation, and he gets to, um, gets to a cave. This is where we get to this, okay? And there he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? The, the emphasis on this, I don't have time to break this down, but just, just to say this so you can read it, think about it, process it. The emphasis in this sentence is the word here. It says, what are you doing here, Elijah? I told you to be there. I told you to be where Ahab and Jezebel is. I told you to be in the middle of the kingdom. You just took all their prophets down. You just displayed me, and, and, you're, and then you run to here. This is, this is not where I called you. This is not where I want you. You are here. You need to be there. And so when he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah is completely broken at this point. Now, a lot of it's at his own doing, but let's, let's give our, all of ourselves a little bit of break here. A lot of times, the, pro- the processes, emotions, situations of our, our own doing. Sometimes not, but sometimes yes. A lot of this was his doing, emotionally and stuff, and he's at this cave, and God says, what are you doing here? And then Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets, which is not true. God tells him in just a couple of paragraphs, Elijah, there's 7,000 of my prophets, Focus, Elijah. I've called you to do something. But you're, 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 you're letting yourself get discouraged. You're letting yourself get broken. You're letting all this. Okay. So then he says in verse 11, just the first part, go out and stand on the mountain before me. 
And he does it. And this is where God sends the um, earthquake. He sends the fire. sends all the stuff. And then he whispers to Elijah. He whispers. And, and of all the things in Scripture, I love that. I love that intimacy, that closeness, that he has to get close up to Elijah. I, I see God's huge, big face, you know, bigger than the, than the earth. And Elijah's tiny little ear and, and God whispering. Wouldn't that just like knock him over? But, but, but God whispers to Elijah because he wants that closeness. He wants that intimacy. Now, here's some things. Why does he speak to Elijah? Why does he speak now? I mean, he's got a plan. He's got a plan that he wants Elijah to do, and Elijah's not necessarily doing it. But, but here's the thing that with Elijah is, Elijah truly is committed to God. Yes, he's in a difficult time. He's in kind of depression. He's scared, that kind of thing. But Elijah was truly desperate, and I think that's a huge thing, and he was truly humbled. Him saying, everybody else is getting killed and everything, he's truly humbled. That's not a, he, he's not saying it from the point of view, I'm the only one that serves you. No, he's saying, I'm serving you like all the rest. I'm about to be killed too. That's his mindset. So there's a desperation that says, God, what's going on here? What, I, I need you. I need you. And then there's a humility that's involved with this. That, that, that this is a, I think this is a, a, I think this is a foundation of communication. And I'm going to get more into that in a second, but just lay the groundwork now. Desperation, humility. Let's go to Acts chapter 9. This is Saul. This is Saul before he's Paul. And um, Saul was... Um, Saul was anti-Christian. He did not believe that the Christians were r the real deal. In fact, he had gone to um, he had gone to the the uh, priesthood and he had gotten permission, uh, and also to the government and he had gotten permission letters that he carried with him that gave him permission to break into uh, Christians' homes and drag them out under force and take them to jail. And then he says even later a handful of different times later, that not only did he take them to jail, but he actually had, they were, some of them were actually killed because of this. They were actually killed. They weren't just imprisoned. They were killed because uh, of Paul's act of pulling them out of their homes and, um, and because of the, their Christian faith. All right. So that's where we get with this. And Saul is on the road. He's got the letters in his hand. And he's on the road to, um, to put people and find Christians and put them in jail. That's what he's doing. All right. So then this is when uh, Jesus steps in on the scene. And this is where we come to in verse 1 of Acts 9. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation and the rest of any followers of the way. The way is Christianity. That's what it was called at this time. And uh, any followers of the way that he found there, he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, Saul doesn't think he's persecuting God. He thinks he's persecuting fakers, cult people. And he says, who are you? He doesn't. How am I persecuting you? I'm doing, I'm actually on this journey because of you, God. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Here, here's another thing that I think is a basic foundation for God speaking to us is sincerity. Paul was very sincere. Saul was very sincere, but 
he was wrong. That's how simple it is. He was very sincere, but he was wrong. This is something, if you talk to um, missionaries right now in Muslim settings, if you go into, to, when, when they go into these settings, and the, the Muslims in these other countries and different places, um, and I'm sure that would include America, but I would say there's probably more de- devout uh, Muslims in, in Muslim countries. But you go into these countries, and there's a lot of, of uh, good Muslim people that are very sincerely seeking for God. They are hungry to know God. They want a relationship with God. And they are very sincerely seeking God. The problem is, is they're wrong. Okay? Allah's not God. This is a, this is a um, false religion. It's a cult. And Satan is trying to take them to hell. That's what he's trying to do. But the people themselves... This is the only, you think about some of the countries we send missionaries into that are 98, 99% Muslim. Some of them are 99 point something percent Muslim. And there is maybe a few hundred to, at the most, a few thousand people in, in millions, tens and tens of millions of people, and, and you've got a few hundred that are Christians. There, there is no way that these Muslims that are devoutly seeking after God can know that they're, they're on the wrong path. Nobody is telling them. Nobody is letting them know this. And then you have a missionary or some Christian that, that may come across their path or something they've seen online or something that says maybe, just maybe, there's more truth to this Jesus is the Messiah thing than what they've known before. But they've been told all their life it's not true. But they're very, very sincere and they're hungering for God. You talk to our Muslim, our missionaries to Muslim countries, and they will tell you the overwhelming way that these people get saved is they have dreams about Jesus. And Jesus reveals himself to them in dreams. That, that's amazing to me. Because why? God is speaking to them personally. Jesus is speaking to them personally and letting them know that he's real. And here's the the foundation, because they're sincere. They're really wanting to know God. They're not trying to, they're not strapping bombs to their chest and trying to kill people. They're not, there there is that. We know that's part of Islam. To deny that is just ignorance. But but we do know that there are a lot of very devout, non-bomb strapping Muslims that are trying to know God. But they don't have the truth. There's not somebody there to tell them, or maybe they've heard one thing one time or something, and Jesus will show himself. Now, here's my, here's my question with this, because in our country, one of the most common questions I get as a pastor is, does God speak to us, or does God want to speak to me, or how does God speak to us, or does he do that? And, and my, my answer is always saying, yes, he does, but you have to train yourself to listen to him. Just like you have to learn a language as a young child, you have to learn the language of the Lord. You have to listen to his voice. You have to understand, and you get better and better and better at recognizing his voice, listening, and understanding what he's trying to tell you if you work at it. Okay? Now, one of the basic foundations for me is sincerity. Is, is, is the Lord speaking to Muslims in Saudi Arabia more than he's speaking to Americans? I don't believe so. But I believe the reason that they have dreams and things like that and they recognize it and they listen to it and they get saved from it is because that is part of a cultural understanding for them. That God, Allah, will speak to you in dreams. 
We've kind of discounted that in America. God doesn't really do that. So, so somewhere, the sincerity that they have, the hunger after God, somewhere we may be having that, and I would say we could work on that too. Uh, we need to be really hungry after God in a more real way. But, but God will honor that and, and speak to them. But then they also have a culture that says, I'll listen to that, and we have a culture that says, no, that's hokey. See what I'm saying? I was thinking about this with the sincerity thing and wanting God to be God. And we do this as Christians. God, I need you to do a big miracle. I need you to do something. I want you to speak to me. I want you to. And I was listening to a Francis Chan. I, I, I love the guy. He's a great communicator, preacher, speaker, all this other kind of stuff. I listen to him regularly. And, um, and he was talking about this. And he said that he was, in, he was at this Christian concert. And uh, he was going to get up and speak at the end of the Christian concert. And he was praying the whole time. The band's playing. Everybody's rocking and rolling. He's He's praying, okay, God, I want, I want you to do some big stuff, you know, like the fire from heaven, like Elijah kind of thing, or, or like the three Hebrew children where you just show up right in the middle of the furnace, and you just show yourself to us, and, and Lord, that's what I want. He's praying this and praying this, and he said then right before he gets up to speak, God gives him this little revelation, kind of speaks into his spirit, and said, Francis, here's what you're wanting. You're wanting me to show up. The three Hebrew children had stood up and not bowed down in front of tens and tens of thousands of people at the risk of death. And then they were being put to death. They were being taken to a big furnace to be cooked alive. And they still did not deny the Lord. And they get thrown into the furnace. And he said, and I showed up. He said, and you're wanting me to show up. And you're at a Christian concert. And he said, it was that moment he goes, oh, yeah. Maybe it's not the same thing. Yeah, just maybe it's not. And we like to do this in America. We say, no, our spiritual walk is the same thing. It's the same. Standing in a Christian concert, being thrown into fire furnace. Not the same. A lot of space in between those two things. Okay? Are we, are we really at this desperation point? Are we at this brokenness? Are we at this hum, humility point? Are we at this sincere place? Are we at the, this is one of the things that I have mentally said to myself. In fact, I've said that to myself for the last couple of weeks since I had heard that message. You're just at a Christian concert. I keep saying that to myself over and over. God, I want you to do. You're just at a Christian concert. At what particular point do I get desperate enough that I need Jesus to do something? I need Jesus. We've got some uh, missionaries going to be coming here in about a month or so, and they were both uh, worked in an oncology office. One was a doctor and one was a nurse. They both worked with uh, oncology patients in Grand Junction. And one day, God, well, it was over a time frame, but God said, I'm calling you to, to, um, to a specific country to be missionaries. And we're going to hear their story here in a few weeks. And uh, they said they had this same kind of mentality, this desperation. All they work with is cancer patients that are at the end of their life, the last steps of their life, and they're working with those people. And then God says to them, I want you to go over to this country and I want you to tell people about me because they are on the last steps of their life. And, I, and I, when I heard um, the missionary's wife say this and I read their paperwork, I thought that's the right mentality. We don't have that mentality in the American church. That my next door neighbor is at the point of spiritual death, the last steps of this journey. And I've got to have an urgency and a desperation in my spirit. And, and if you take that to the basics of our, of our Christian thinking, we don't have that kind of Christian thinking in America. 
We don't have a desperation. We don't have a God's the only option. I need to put myself before God in, in physical or relational or financial situations. And God, I need to hear from you. It's not, a, it's not I would like to, but I need to. That level of, of sincerity, that level of, of hungering, that level of, of desperation, we're very much missing this in America. So then we say, God, I'd like you to speak to me. And then we turn our Christian music up. God, I, I need you to speak to me. And we're talking to him while we're driving down the road and hollering at other people. God, I need you to speak to me. At what particular point do we, are we so desperate about this and so sincere in our hunger that we isolate ourselves, get alone with God and say, God, I need you. I've been, I've been very pleased and proud to watch what's going on with the youth group over the last month. In fact, today's the last day, is it not? guys are free. Um, they've been fasting for a month of anything media. Anything. Facebook, texting, texting, right? You can't text. Slackers. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, movies, TV, uh, Netflix, music, any kind of music, any of that kind of stuff. They've been fasting for an entire month from this. Some of you are getting cold sweats just thinking about it. No, no, no phone, watching videos, on it, none of that kind of stuff. This is, this is a good place for them. And they've also been having prayer meetings up here at the church about this. This is a very healthy, good place to build a, a, a relationship with Jesus on. Is to say, Jesus, I need you first. In fact, some of the parents have been like, and this is really getting in my way. <laughs> Now, some of the parents have been doing it, too, um, and some of them are complaining. But, um, <clears throat> Pastor Shelby, <clears throat> but, but uh, the, the idea that, that this is a good place to go to, to say, God, I need to clean the table off. Nothing, just you. Just what do you want to say? What do you want to do? What are you trying to speak into my life? It's amazing how you can hear God when, when he does that kind of stuff. I mean, when we do that kind of stuff, he's standing there waiting. He's not, he's not doing something new. He's just standing there waiting and saying, I want to talk to you. But we got so much stuff, so much stuff. Next thing, Matthew chapter 13, Jesus speaks. Jesus always, um, verse 34, Jesus always used stories and illustrations like those when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. This fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. I will speak to you in parables. I will speak to you in parables. I want to explain things hidden since the creation of the world. Now, interestingly, Jesus speaks to uh, the greater crowd in parables, but he speaks. He doesn't speak to the disciples that way. He doesn't speak to his close followers that way. In fact, he explains the parables to them. But to the crowds, he speaks to parables. Now, here's part of the reason. It's not all of it, but I think part of the reason he does this. There was one way the church did things in those days, and it wasn't parables. Okay, They would have the... the opening the scrolls, read the scrolls, and then the, um, the, the priest would, would, would uh, tell you the next scroll to read, or the next uh, portion of scripture to read, and then, and then there were, maybe it would have been a little bit of discussion, depends on what city you were in, what the context was, some were a little bit more open to this, but, th but that was basically, it. read the scroll and go down through, the, you know, just read down through the scroll, and then let's talk about it just a little bit, and then that's it. And Jesus does the exact same things. He's taking these exact same truths out of Scripture, and he's completely rewording them, making them stories about 
plants and animals and people and relationships and dirt and rocks. and I mean, all kinds of things. And he's using storylines to do this. Let me give you something. This is just me. I don't, I don't, this is me, okay? And I'm not going to change my mind about this. So this is just me. So there's a modern mentality that's very strong in evangelical, Pentecostal, slash charismatic Christianity in America today. Very, very strong. It started about 15, 20 years ago. I, I remember when I first started hearing it in seminaries and things like that. It's very, very strong mental thinking, theological thinking in the church today. That the best way, uh, the best sermonizing to have in today's society today is what's called expository preaching. Okay. That's, that's even being strongly pushed. Now, in our tradition, in our uh, Pentecostal tradition going back, that's not actually where we did this long ago. But that's become the tradition of us. And here's my thinking about this. Okay, There's four basic ways to, to, to uh, sermonize. Three strong ones, one, whatever. But there's four basic ways. Uh, expository, oh, oh, by the way, expository preaching is just going down the line. Like go Ephesians 1, and then just go all the way through Ephesians chapter 1, and you just read it and you just talk about it. Kind of the same way the, 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 the Jewish tradition was back in those days. Okay? Just go through expository, uh, just go verse by, line by line by line, maybe bring a little bit of other stuff in, but just expository preaching. Let, let, me, let me explain this to you the best I can from my perspective. I think that's one of the laziest forms of, of sermonizing that there is. I think it's lazy. And by the way, I use all four all the time. So I know which ones are the easier ones. I know which ones are the lazy ones. Why do I think expository preaching is potentially the laziest? Because you don't have to do anything. What are you preaching on next week? The next chapter. I don't have to study anything. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to, maybe I get a little background or stuff, but I don't have to really work at it. I don't even really, if I've read it a few times over the years, I don't even really have to read it again. I kind of know. I can tell you right now, I can walk you down through almost every single New Testament book, every single epistle, everything, and I can tell you their outline. Because why? I studied it. I've read it for 30 years now. I can tell you I don't have to redo it. But to actually get in and go all over Scripture and try to figure out what's being said over here and how does that match up with, with pre-cross and post-cross and all this kind of stuff, which is not expository preaching, that's more difficult. Now, why, why am I saying that in relationship to, to what's going on here? Jesus did the exact same thing. They were basically an expository mentality culture, a religious culture. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to tell you stories. I'm going to tell you stories about a tree. And I'm going to give you profound truth by talking about a tree. And that's, he changed the conversation. He did it differently. And here's one of the things with us that I think he likes to do, is he likes to do it differently, and he likes to do it within our context. I, I said this last week or the week before, you've got the mountains right behind me. What better testimony of God do you have than those mountains? His word first, those mountains that's amazing that God would give us that. He wants to speak to us. He wants to speak to us through nature. He wants to speak to us through people. Other people say, I'll, I'll tell you one, right after um, like just two, two weeks or so, maybe a week and a half to two weeks after um, Heather and the kids were killed in the accident, I got a phone call from um, Daryl Matson. Now, some of you know who he is. Some of you don't. I'll explain who Daryl Matson is. He was going to this church. Uh, they're an older couple, and they're in, they're in their 80s. Uh, they were pastor churches for years and years and years. They were our district superintendent in, in, uh, in Colorado, Utah, for 
for um, a few years. They, they, he, he, my grandmother worked for him as a minister decades ago. He was at my birth. In fact, he tells me all the time, I'm the first one to ever hold you. Before your mama, before anybody. He was at the hospital. And I, my mother had come up to Colorado, had me. and I was, So he is a spiritual leader. He's a spiritual mentor for me personally. He's just been a pastor longer than I've been alive. Those kind of things. But, but he, they live in Florida now. He has uh, dementia, uh, Alzheimer's. He's not in his right mind most of the time. Okay? I'll call and I'll talk to Barbara a little bit. And I'll say, how's Daryl doing? Well, he's here. Do you want to talk to him? And, and he's talked to me. He doesn't know who I am. Okay? A couple weeks after the uh, car accident, I get a phone call. In fact, I'm at a restaurant. I step outside the restaurant because it's, it's from them, and I want to make sure I take this phone call. So I step outside the restaurant. I'm standing out there, and I'm listening to this, and, and it's Daryl on the phone, and he says, um, Brother Scott, I need to tell you something. He said, I heard about Heather and the kids. I said, yeah. And he said, here's some things you need to do. Here's some ways that you need to pray. Here's some ways that you need to, to speak to Gordon. Here's some ways that you need to speak to the church. Here's some things that are just some, some stuff I've dealt with when I've gone through this. You need to know this stuff. In about 20 minutes, he just gives me all this stuff. And then he says, now I want to pray for you because this is, this, this is hurting Barbara and I. We want to pray. We need to pray for you. So he said there and prayed for me. And I'm, you know, I'm standing outside the restaurant. You know, and, and, um, and, and, and here's the thing. After that, I, I, he said, okay, here's Barbara. She wants to say hi to you before I go. And she said, Scott, he is more lucid right now than he has been in a, in a long, long time. You know, you know what that moment was for me? There was a lot going on. There was some wisdom, a lot of good things. You know what that moment was for me also? The Holy Spirit was speaking to me through Daryl. And he knew, the Holy Spirit knew he could trust Daryl to give me the right information and gave him just lucidity at that particular moment to make sure that he gave everything that he needed. Talking about he knew all the, the kids' names, he knew everything. There wasn't anything that he was a little iffy about. And he spelled it out to me. This is what's going to be happening. This is what you need to know, all these different kind of things. Guys, God wants to speak to you, and he wants to speak to you all the time. But you've got to be listening. You've got to be ready. And for Daryl, he was listening and ready. I don't know. I don't know how to deal with that, with the dimension and the Alzheimer's. I don't know what. I don't know. But I just know God wants to speak to you. But you got to get to that place. you got to get there. He's going to do it specifically for you, too. Okay? So, some things I want to walk through. And these are, these are, you can use these in group concepts. Most of these will work in just about every concept. I've tried to make them enough neutral that, that you can, you'll get it. You can apply these to different things in your workplace, your marriage, or whatever the case is. The first thing, and I think this is the basic foundation for all communication, and this is where we get, this is where we get hung up sometimes. These first three are, are the strongest, and this is where we get hung up. This is why we don't communicate well. The first one is sincere. Are we truly sincere? Even if we're wrong, if you're sincere, you're going to get there easier than if you don't, if you're not sincere. Are you sincere? Is this something that is important? What is your motivation? Here's a big one. What is your motivation? When you're thinking about communicating this, whatever this is, 
to this individual or to a group or something else? What is your motivation? Are you speaking at them? Are you just trying to get them to know information? Are you really trying to communicate? Are you trying to communicate a bigger picture? Do you care? Do you truly care about the individual or group of individuals that you're communicating to? When you're when you're talking about something like marriage or family, these are these are close knit communication issues. Sincerity is a, is it's huge. If you're not really sincere, if there's not a back and forth thinking, if you don't really truly care about the other person more than your subject matter or them being, uh, being convinced of your subject matter, you're not going to get there. Here's something that we all know. We all know what sincerity looks like, and we all know what a lack of sincerity looks like. Every one of us can immediately pick it out. Even little kids can pick it out when you're not being sincere. Sincerity has to be the very basic, the the. And, and all the different things, your body language, is that speaking that? All those different things. And, and, and I'm not saying, okay, then I need to really practice being sincere. That's, not, that's an oxymoron, okay? Don't be an oxymoron. Uh, you can't practice sincerity. Sincerity is, is either it or it's not. Okay, the second thing is truly be humble. Do you know more than anybody else? Do you know more than all the people you're talking to or the person you're talking to? This is when we start speaking down to people. Don't, don't speak down to people. Do you respect them on the same level? Do you respect them? Can you have a conversation with them on the same level? I love having conversations with little kids. And I'm not, I'm not uh, speaking down to them, but I just like to have conversations. You, know, you take a four or five-year-old kid and you just have a conversation with them. Because most people don't speak specifically in like under six or seven. Most people don't just have conversations with kids like that. You take a three or a four year old. What do we do? You know, and you know, oh, you look pretty, 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 pretty. You know, and at some particular point, we're teaching that that's how you talk. That is just my personal pet peeve. But have a conversation. I love to ask kids things like, "Does do do you like your mom and daddy?" Yes, I do. Which one spanks you? <laughs> you know, those kind of... All right, so <clears throat> remember there are human beings that are equal to you. This is something that we get lost sometimes in the workplace, and we get lost sometimes in a marriage context, is th- th- there are people that God created. Those are people God created, and they are equals to you. It doesn't matter whether you're higher in the corporation. They are equals to you because they are humans, and you're a human doesn't matter whether they're male or female or what race they're from. They are humans created by God. They are equal to you. Little kid, adult, they are equals. This is something we've got to get into our spirit. And it begins to change the dynamic of conversations when we get this. Again, same as sincerity, people recognize humility and they recognize a lack of humility. Okay, the third thing, desperation. And this could go a little bit different directions. Like Elijah, he was at a different kind of place of desperation, say the three Hebrew children. Okay? Elijah wasn't under the threat of death when he actually was spoke to by God, whispered God. He had actually been rescued from it. You know, this is an interesting thing in the story of Elijah. Elijah on the mountain with all the prophets and everything else, he's talking to them. He's talking about God. He's telling, he's kind of making fun of them. He's saying, bring the fire and all this stuff. And then he talks to God and he says something to God and God sends the fire down. And interestingly, nowhere in there do we see where Elijah asks God something or that God speaks to Elijah. Nowhere in there. He's all speaking, speaking, speaking. And then all of a sudden, he gets to the cave where he's isolated, he's broken, he's alone, and God speaks. That's when God speaks. That, that, 
And I think from my experience, that's pretty consistent. Desperation's a big thing. What do you have when you have nothing else? You got God. My suggestion, and I don't, know, I don't even know how to do this in my own life sometimes, so all I can do is suggest I don't know how. I know some things, but I think if we can get to more of a desperation mentality regularly, that God, you're my only option, I think that's good. God doesn't like to be thrown into the mix of 30 other options. I've got God and I've got all these other things, and God's like, when you're done with all those other things, I'll jump in. Until then, I'm just going to wait and let you wade through them. But when we get to a point of desperation, and in conversations, maybe desperation is the word I'm using, but I mean, you can change that a little bit. But just, just a, a, a true desire to, to listen and understand them in the process. Am I truly willing to communicate with them no matter what? That's a kind of a desperation thing. Am I truly willing to communicate? And then kind of the next thing is, am I willing to listen to them? Will I put myself out there and truly listen to them to the point where I want to understand what's going on? That this is a two-way conversation with a, with a child or with a spouse or something else who I really want to understand. Do I really want to know? And that takes me to the next one, which is to truly understand the situation. Avoid making assumptions before having a, a pretty serious conversation. And guys, this is very challenging for us. We make assumptions. Well, they think this. or they, Unless you're in their brain, you don't know for sure what they're thinking. They, well, if I say this, they're going to say this. Don't assume that until it's said. Because what happens is when you start making assumptions before you have the conversation, you're actually guiding the conversation without trying to, without realizing, maybe trying to, without realizing you are guiding that conversation into unhealthiness before you even start. Because you've already made assumptions about this other individual, what they're going through. Do you really know what's in their mind? Do you know what happened that day? This is something I always think about with waiters or waitresses. You got a, a waitress comes to the table. And she's like, you know, throws the, the, the silverware down. What do you want? Well, you shouldn't act like that. You shouldn't be rude to me. You have no idea what they're going through. Lynn and I, this was years ago, we were, we were at, a, at like a gas station restaurant in, um, I don't even know, somewhere between Oklahoma and Dallas. And we were traveling. We stopped, and this waitress had come out, and she was a little chippy. She wasn't real nice, wasn't real mean, but just kind of a little chippy, and we're talking to her. And, I, and, and I'm, I'm thinking in my spirit, something's not right here. And so I began to talk to her. It was at, it was at a Chili's. It was in a other, another building. But we, we're sitting there, and I began to talk to her. And I said, so what's going on? She immediately talks about how her six-year-old daughter is sick and in the hospital that day, and her, her husband had run off and left her, and her daughter's at the hospital, and she can't get to the hospital because she's got to work all the time because she's a single mom trying to pay the bills and all this stuff. And she just, I mean, unloaded everything on us. And I thought, how easy would it have been for me as a Christian to say, I deserve better service than this. I have no idea what she's really going through. We got an opportunity to pray with her. She was a Christian. Got an opportunity to pray with her. She was, she was totally upset about all this kind of stuff. And I think to myself, how many people do we come across on a regular basis and we make assumptions about them and we can't have a legitimate conversation because we've already decided all the stuff in their life and how they should think and how they should act and, and you, you may be wrong about every bit of it. To really think, do you know when you're using certain facts to say this and this and this, are, are you generalizing against them or are you truly trying to help the conversation along? Is this, is this your beat them up material or is this let's converse material? 
You understand the difference in what I'm saying? You can come to the, you can come to the conversation stacked. You've got everything in your favor. You've got all this information. You've got all this stuff. Do, do you really, are you really trying to have a conversation? Are you really trying to, to interact with them? Do you know what their heart is about all this? What about timing? Is this the right time for this conversation? I can tell you, sometimes as a pastor, I've had people come talk to me, and it was the worst possible time to have that conversation. All it did was beat me up because of everything else. You've been there before. You, you know, you, have, you leave the house, and you and the spouse are at each other. There's some you know, big pressures, all stuff. You get to work, and the boss just jumps all over you. And those are the moments when you're like, I'm done. I'm out. Why? He didn't take into any kind of consideration that there may be other issues going on. Didn't even have the conversation. I had a guy years ago come and he was a leadership position in, um, in our fellowship. And, and, he, and he came to my church and started asking me all these questions because he had already made up his mind. I don't remember all the details. Somebody had called the district office. I was a pastor of a church and said he, that I had done this and this. And I'd say, I don't remember all this stuff. And so he comes to, the, to my office and says, um, hey, uh, th- this was his opening line. So are you a habitual liar? <laughs> How do you win that question? I, the only thing I was like, maybe. Because I didn't know if I say no, I'm lying. <laughs> if I say yes, I'm lying. I don't know. I, I don't know. Are you? You know, I don't. Here's the thing. He never asked one question. This guy was was fairly close to me at that time, never asked me a question, never asked about the context, didn't tell me the context, didn't tell me the background. I knew nothing. That was his opening line. This, this guy, his position was supposed to be to protect me, not attack me. I thought, you just gave me the best example. I'm going to use it on, what is today? February something, 18th, 2018 as a horrible way to communicate, very unhealthy way to communicate. Do you understand the situations? The sixth thing, be creative. Jesus was creative. I think you can do this in the workplace. I think using stories, using other things. Um, We see this actually in the Old Testament. We see it all throughout. Uh, One of the better moments I had as a pastor early on, I'd been a pastor for about a year, and I had a very sticky situation that had come up in the church. Um, we had a bunch of Catholics coming into the church. They were getting saved. Just God was doing some really big things. And, and we had a, a leader in the church at that time, board member, that was really wanting to attack. And, and you know, they can't, they, these, these Catholics need to do this and this, this and this when they come in. And I'm like, why don't you let them uh, um, have revelation of Jesus on their pace? I'm teaching, you're teaching, we're preaching, we're praying, we're living it out. Because he wanted them to like get rid of anything that looked Catholic, do all this other kind of stuff. I was like, all right. And I'm, he was wrong. And so I'm thinking, what do I do about this? I'm 26 years old. He's in his 40s. Uh, I'm thinking, how do I deal with this? And I prayed and prayed and prayed. And God showed me the story in, in, in Kings where, where um, the, the prophet comes to David and says, David, let me tell you a story about this guy that he had this, um, this um, animal, this goat or lamb. I can't remember. This goat, I think it was, and he took and um, and uh, took this lamb and killed it and ki- and ate it for himself. Although he had herds and herds and herds of lambs, and this guy only had one lamb. I mean, I'm, this is my paraphrase, but and David said that guy should be 
put in prison. You should be even killed for it. And the prophet said to David, David, that's the exact same thing you did, but the lamb's name is Bathsheba. Right? I'm reading that. And I'm like, boom. So I go to this guy who owned a big shop. He's a good guy, and he's a good friend of mine today. But uh, he had this big shop where he sold a bunch of stuff, and one of the things he sold in this shop was statues of the Mother Mary. Right? Anybody else having a problem? I'm like, what? And so, so I went in there, and I'm standing in the shop, and I go over by the, the Mother Mary's, and I'm looking at them and doing all this stuff, and I said, hey, I got a question for you. There's, there's uh, one of these uh, people that come to our church that used to be Catholic. They just got saved. They're coming in. I said, and they just cannot let go of Mariology. They still pray to Mary. They, they um, have a little Mary statue in their yard. And for, if you don't, like, take bathtubs. I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's very common where we're pastoring. They'd have these bathtubs that they put buried in the ground. They put Mary in. So it's like a, it's like a shrine to, to Mary. And I said in all this, and I said, we've got to do something. He said, that's right. We've got to do something. That is not okay. He just goes off for him like 55 minutes or so, and he just, ah, ah, ah. I'm like, that is right. And the whole time he's talking, I pick this Mary up, and I'm holding this Mary, I'm looking at it. And, um, and he said, that's right. What are, we, what are you going to do about this as the pastor? I said, and I showed him the Mary. I said, I don't know. What, what do you think I should do? And he stopped dead still. And by the way, he's the kind of guy that could really have hurt me. Okay. <laughs> I don't mean physically. I took, no, he might have taken me too. But, but I mean, he had a lot of power. He was a board member. He had a lot of this. He could have, and I was very young, just got to the church. I'm holding up Mary, and he stands there for a little while, and he just looks at me. He says, this reminds me of a story in the Bible. I said, does it? And he says, when the prophet came to David, I said, it does kind of seem that way, doesn't it? And he says, you're right. My attitude is wrong. And, and to that day, that guy is one of my closer friends. The Lord will speak to you. He will help you be creative. Here's another thing. Be concise. Don't, sometimes when people come to, to have a conversation with you, they're trying to just convince you what they're saying, so they say the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and they just keep circling around, circling around, and they, they just be concise. If you've said it, then you say it. I, I said this. I had something years ago I was going to say on the on the floor of our district council, a resolution that was going to be a very confrontational resolution. And Linda told me ahead of time, she said, make a promise to me. You will get up, you will present the resolution, you will present your argument, and then you will say nothing else after that. No argument, no rebuttal, no nothing. You will say your piece, and it has to stand by itself, and that's it. And I was like, okay, you don't know how difficult that is when that moment actually happens. When people are getting up and accusing me of not being a Christian, hating Jesus, hating the assemblies of God, all this other kind of stuff. And I just sat there, and she kept saying, you said your peace. You said your peace. And I'm like, God, I hate you right now. But, but be concise. Be creative. Be creative how you say things. But be concise and let it stand on its own. You don't have to beat people up. And then the last thing here is assume that there's going to be disagreement and hesitancy from them. Assume that. They're not just going to automatically agree with you. They're not just automatically, oh, you're right about everything. It doesn't work that way. You know that. Take, take marriage. Is there any time in the middle of a heated argument, one or both of you stopped and said, you know what, that is a very good point that you just brought up. Have you ever had that happen in an argument? If you are, you are the only person that's ever had that. Nobody gives in in the middle of that. But... 
but maybe later, maybe we have, but understand when you're coming to a conversation, there's going to be disagreement. They're not going to necessarily agree with you. Know that going in. And then also, I think the other side is, don't just disagree no matter what with them. If you don't want them to do that with you, don't do that with them. And don't berate somebody into submission. That, that happens a lot in family things and, and uh, marriages and workplaces. You just, this is the way it's going to be. You just keep pounding and pounding until they give up. They throw up the white flag. Don't do that. It's not healthy for anybody. So stand with me if you would. <clears throat> We're going to pray. We're going to pray for a, couple, a few things here. We're going to pray that, um, that we would listen to God, that we would be expecting God to speak to us, and that we would hear him speak to us. We would learn. You might even pray as we get to this point. Um, Lord, teach me. Teach me to hear your voice. Maybe what you need to say is convince me that you speak. Wherever you are, okay? Uh, the other part of this is, Lord, help me have good, healthy communication with other people. Let me have good, healthy communication with you. And let me have good, healthy communication with other people. And God will do that. So bow your head. We're going to start by asking Jesus into our hearts, into our lives. Because if we don't start there, everything else is, is moot. And so we need to start with Jesus. I need you to be God over me. So let me ask the question. Anybody here, you're saying, I need Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I need him to be in charge of me. I need, I need his blood to cover me and forgive me. You say, that's you. I, I'm not going to ask you to come down front or anything like that. We're all going to pray together here in just a little bit. But if you say, that's me, I need Jesus to be in charge of me. I'd like you to raise your hand real quick. Okay. All right, anybody else? I don't want to rush through this but you kind of know where you are in this. All right, let's pray together. And for, for you that raise your hands, and for anybody in the room, whether you raise your hand or not, just do the best you can to say, this is, this is my prayer. Lord, I want you to be in charge of me. I need you in charge of me. So everybody in the room, let's pray. You can repeat this prayer with me. And uh, let's ask Jesus to be uh, Lord over our life. Lord God, I need you in charge of me. I need you to forgive me of anything I've ever done. It's not pleasing to you. Cover me with the blood of Jesus. And make me right with you, God. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Lord, thank you for the gift of forgiveness and salvation. Lord, we want to be in right relationship with you. We want to be forgiven and covered with your blood, Jesus. Lord, we also want you to speak to us and we want... We want to speak to you, and we want to, we want to actually communicate. We want to give you our needs, but Lord, also sometimes we just want to worship you. Lord, we also want you to speak back into our spirit, into our lives. Speak to us, Lord. God, I pray that for every person in here, Lord, if anybody is wondering whether this is actually for them, please, Jesus, you convince them right now. Holy Spirit, you get in their minds and hearts. Let them know that you are trying to speak, that you do want to show them things. You want to, you want to help them. You want to help them see you. You want to help them in, in just so many different areas of life. And the Lord, you do that by speaking to us. Lord, I thank you for the many, many, many times that you've, that you've spoke to me. I, Lord, I, you do this regularly. God, it's, it's breath to me. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray that for every one of us in here. In the name of Jesus. Pray that for every one of us in here. 
God, we want to hear you. We want to learn what your voice sounds like, and we want to listen better. We want to expect it to happen. And then, God, I pray for the, the next part of this, that we can communicate with other people, too, much better. That every one of us in here, we can communicate better. That we can have better conversations and that we can grow and learn from other people. And they can grow and learn from us. But, God, we've got to put you first, I believe. And then we've got to put just a, a sincerity and a humbleness in our spirit first before all these other things. God, I listen better when I'm broken before you. God, I hope our marriages have better communication and, and our friendships have better communication. Lord, help our workplaces. Anything that we, we have anything to, to put our hand to, Lord, help us to bring better communication to those contexts. We pray all this for your glory, Lord, not for us, not for something that would benefit us, but Lord, just because we want to serve you better and serve other people better. So help our conversations and help our communication. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And we leave you with this. Just ask the Lord. Sometime this week, just ask the Lord. Do you want to speak to me? Just ask him that. Do you want to speak to me? And let the conversation go from there. Do you want to speak to me? And, and I think you'll be surprised at what he'll say, how he'll say it, what he'll do. And so before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the chance. He's going to speak into your life somebody to talk to about him. Listen to that. Tell somebody about Jesus, and God will honor that. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand, hug their neck. Well, he will see you tonight at my house, or we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your week.